Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be able to share with you today. I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see the wonderful things in your word, that you would open our ears, that we might hear the words that come from you, that you might open our hearts, that we might be responsive to those things that you have to say to us today. And as we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share a reading with you this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. So if you do have a Bible, and I know some of you do bring a Bible along, but if you've got a Bible with you, it will be on the screen. I want to read from Luke 4, from verse 14. And Jesus returning in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet was given, Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this Joseph's son? Well, as a church, since March 21, we've been looking at a series, The Mess, The Miracle and The Mission. Let me, in just a couple of sentences, do a, a quick review. The mess of human sin has alienated us as mankind from God, leaving a fallout of brokenness, misery and death. Easter revealed the miracle of God's costly response to our mess. And now we've been given a mission, a mission to go out with the truth, the message of salvation in Jesus' name. And our mission requires surrender to his sovereign will and the living of a sacrificial life. You know, friends, the miracle of Easter has irreversibly forever opened the way out of the mess of our sin. And yet, the mess is still here. The mess still remains. Sin still messes with our lives. And as we go out into our world, we find that in an out-of-control world, the mess grows and spreads, leaving devastating consequences. So... With the miracle of Easter, 
Why is there still a mess? Why does the mess continue? What's wrong? Well, I guess there's many reasons, but simply our mission into the world is incomplete. Our mission into the world is unfinished, and it's unfinished for all sorts of reasons. But let me just share th- quickly three reasons why our mission is unfinished. Unlike the church of the first three centuries, you and me, the church, the Western church particularly, has replaced the risky command to go, to walk across the room, to go across the street, to go to the nations. We've replaced it with the lesser idea that people should come to us. Why is the mission incomplete? Some have assumed that participation in the mission requires a spectacular call. But as one fellow said, why wait for a call when you've got a command? And then, of course, another reason is that many suppose that mission is for specialists, career missionaries who are trained, who have learned another language and spent 30 or 40 years in and among an unreached culture. For many today, both in Australia and throughout the Western world, there is this way of thinking, I'm too ordinary. God can't use me. It's an excuse that goes back to Moses. Moses said when God called him, Moses said, who me? Jonah said, not me. Habakkuk said, why me? Isaiah said, send me. And that's what God is looking for. People who will walk across the room, across the street, and go out into the community and, if called, to the ends of the earth. Alan Hurst is a, uh, a member and a minister with the Churches of Christ in Victoria. For at least two or three decades, he's been involved in researching, writing, and also implementing what he has found in missional work in Melbourne. Let me read what he says. He says, A missional theology applies to the whole of life of every believer. Every disciple is to be an agent of the kingdom of God, and every disciple is to carry the mission of God into every sphere of life. We are all missionaries sent into a non-Christian culture. You know, friends, the word missionary is not in your Bible. The word mission is not in your English Bible. If you can find it, come and let me know where it's found. It's not there. But the concept is, and so is the activity. In fact, the word mission or missionary comes from a Latin word, the word misio or missinum which is a translation of the Greek word apostolo. And the word apostolo simply means one who has been sent with a mission. In Hebrews 3, verse 1, we read, Therefore, you holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, the one who was sent with a mission, the missionary and our high priest of confession. 21 times in John's gospel, Jesus said that he was sent by the Father. 
And on the, the last occasion, in John 20, 21, he said this to the disciples and to us, he says it, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Historian Michael Green writes of the early church and refers to them as informal missionaries, not through formal preaching, but informal conversations in homes, wine shops, on walks, and around the market stall. They shared their lives and the gospel naturally and enthusiastically. And friends, Luke chapter 4 looks at Jesus in mission. It looks at the mission of Jesus in broad brushstrokes. And I want to underline three pivotal concepts that we find here in these words in Luke chapter 4. You see, his mission has become our mission. Firstly, we see what qualifies us for mission and the scope of our mission. When Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah, it was opened up to Isaiah 61 and he began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To be anointed by the Holy Spirit is to be set apart and to be empowered for God's mission. In John chapter 3, verse 34, John the baptizer said of Jesus, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. It appears that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit beyond measure. Now, I can't be sure whether Jesus had, I don't know, whether Jesus had more of the Holy Spirit than anyone else or not. I suspect that he did. What I do know is this, that the Holy Spirit had all of him. You will find nowhere in the scripture where you are commanded to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's God's business. But in Ephesians 5.18, there's a command there. It says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the word there, be filled, is a verb, and it is in the present tense. That means it is to be a continual thing. It's in the imperative mood, so it is, it is a command. And it's in the passive voice, which means you can't do anything about it. It's what God does as we surrender our lives to him every day, every hour of the day, and seek after the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you this morning that the evidence of the filling of the Spirit is not spectacular giftedness. A lot of people have got this idea, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're spectacularly gifted. In verses 19 to 21, we see the outflowing of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It says in verse 19 that we are to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you're filled with the Spirit, your conversation changes. The content of your conversation, your vocabulary. You put away filthy talk, foolish talk, superficial talk. You go beyond the weather and the football, and the latest song that you've ever heard, and you start to talk real stuff. 
So we are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this is all dependent on being filled with the Spirit. We are to go on from there, apart from speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we are to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And that means that there is to be a joy in our life. When you're filled with the Spirit, your life becomes joyful. I'm not talking about a, a, a happy, raucous uh, uh, way of life. I'm talking about something that's between love and joy, uh, love and peace. It's a restful hope that puts a smile on your face. You know, looking around some Christians, you look, they look like they've been sucking lemons all their lives. And if they, they cracked a smile, they'd crack their face. But I want to tell you this morning that our lives are to be a joyful life. That doesn't mean there's not times of sadness, but there is joy. He goes on and says, giving thanks in all things through Jesus Christ to God the Father. And so our lives, if we're filled with the Spirit, are marked by gratitude and thanksgiving. And then the last part in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so there is a humility about our lives. Our conversation changes. There is joy. We are people who are filled with gratitude. And we are humble before God and before one another. And, and if you go on into the rest of that fifth chapter and into chapter six, you've got the context where this works out. It works out in marriages because some marriages are, are the, is, is a front line. That's the mission. It's in the family. And Ephesians 6 says it's into the workplace and out into the community. Please understand that thinking I'm too ordinary is not an excuse for dodging God's mission. Ordinary followers like me are marked out by the Holy Spirit, called out, sent out to be occupied in God's mission of bringing the message of God's kingdom into our immediate world each day on our front line. And the Holy Spirit will enlarge our influence, our resilience, our persistence, our consistency, courage, integrity and compassion beyond natural uh, capabilities and capacities. A writer of, uh, well, he did live in this century, he passed away in this century, but an outstanding Christian leader and author, John Stott, wrote this. He said, do we claim to believe in God? He is a missionary God. You tell me you are committed, Christ, committed to Christ. He is a missionary Christ. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? He is a missionary spirit. Do you belong to the church? It's a missionary society. Do you hope to go to heaven when you die? It's a heaven into which the fruits of world mission have been and will be gathered. What qualifies you and me for mission? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that he's getting more and more of us. And we need that. 
But in Luke 4, we also see the nature and the scope of mission. When Jesus opened the scriptures there that day, he said, he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. And then again, he says, to proclaim liberty. And then again, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Of those three proclaims, two are the same in the Greek language. But the first one is quite different. The first proclaim is based on the word good news, gospel. It literally means he has anointed me to gospelize the good news. And that's to be our role too. We are to be gospelizers. In ordinary everyday conversations, we are to share the message of what has happened to us with those we encounter. But it's also a matter of announcing the wholeness and freedom that we have from debt, freedom from anything that confines, freedom from the obligations that people face that they'll never be free from. And the, the mission is to the marginalised, to the spiritually exiled and persecuted. They were there back there in Jesus' day in a, Judea, Judea, a, a Jewish uh, Roman system where wealth and power dominated. And the scope of his mission was and is comprehensive at a physical and a spiritual level. This was his mission and it's ours today too. You know, the nature of mission, the mission of Christ combines both word, but it also combines deed. In Luke 24, 19, we read that Jesus had gained a reputation that he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Now, what might seem to be a prevailing emphasis in Luke 4 on announcing the gospel is illuminated by Jesus' response to a question that came from John the baptizer who'd been thrown into the prison. Uh, John in prison started to doubt and he sent two of his followers to Jesus asking, are you really the one we're looking forward to or should we, we, we be waiting from someone else? And Jesus' response, let me read from Luke chapter 7, 19. Lord, are you the one who is coming or should we look for another? And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Leslie Newbigin wrote these words. He was a missionary in India for 15 years, went back to the UK and found a church in decline, falling apart. And was so concerned, he took up the, the, the role of becoming a spokesman again for mission in the local scene. And he wrote this, he said, the business of the church is to tell, but it's also to embody the good news. Now let me stop there for a few minutes and tell you some stories. David, I did have a funny story to tell this morning, but they'd have to put a calendar on the wall to time me this morning if I was to tell that story. We've only got a clock. 
The stories are not about women's work because I've never really been involved in women's work. They're not about children's work or youth work. But for me, more recently, about my involvement with refugees, migrants and international students. Because in that sphere, in the last nine or ten years, I have seen the mission being done in word and deed. I've seen teachers who have advocated for refugees who are being taken for a ride by the community. I think of particularly one of our teachers who picked up on that two of her students were working for a business here in Toowoomba and they weren't being paid. I don't mean they were being underpaid, they weren't being paid. And the teacher went to see that business owner with these two young women, Asian women, and she challenged the owner and said, this is against the law, this is unlawful to do this. And she said, unless you do something about it and give them their wages, there's going to be trouble. That same teacher in a classroom would share the good news of the kingdom of God. On one occasion, she did a lesson. She asked the students to write down, where will you be in five years' time? Where will you be in 10 years, 20 years? Where will you be in eternity? As I went around the class, one of the students, when he came to read out his his response said, it's that last question that troubles me the most. A seed had been sown. But you know, right now as a church, many of you are involved in mission simply by being generous. came to our attention earlier this year that one of the uh, refugees who has been part of our, our program here since we began has a sister in her homeland. She's a very ill woman. She has five children, three little girls, an older son and a little boy. And she's, uh, she's pregnant, but her kidneys are functioning at about 20%. It's unlikely that, the, that the, the child inside her will survive. It's doubtful whether she'll survive. But the sister here has been so deeply grieved by what's happening to her sister, it touched our hearts. And we put out a message and people, some of you responded and finances come through. We're in touch with overseas organisations who are going into this country and doing things. We're trying to find out if doctors on, that, on, on the frontier, I can't think what they call that, what, it's a French word, I can't, I, I, I fail French. Yeah, that's the one. Doctors, doctors without borders. We're trying to find out if they're going into that place. But this woman has left, had to leave her home region. She's moved to a city where there's a hospital and doctors and she can get medication. She's had to rent. The money is going to support, the money that you've given is going to support her while she's there. Now, here's the real catch. The, 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 the greatest grief that she as a mum is facing and the sister here who weeps for her, for her sister, the greatest problem they're facing is this. If she dies, 
She's not concerned about her boys. Oh, it's going to be hard for them. She's concerned for those three little girls. Because her husband has abandoned her, those three little girls could very easily, very likely be sold into slavery. And so we, as the representatives of Jesus in mission, are doing something that will bring hope, but not only hope, practical assistance. You know, recently, I were, Kerry and I were with this woman here in Toowoomba, and we had the opportunity to pray with her for the first time. We prayed with her in the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe, and I'm praying, that God will open this woman in Toowoomba, the sister in Toowoomba's eyes, to who Jesus is. But praying also for the sister over there in that country. We need, if we're going to be qualified to go into mission, we need the Spirit of God dwelling in us, taking control of us. The second pivotal concept is that Jesus' mission announced a new time dimension. When Jesus finished reading Isaiah 61, it tells us that he sat down and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know that day when Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth, the year of Jubilee, where debts were cancelled and prisoners set free had arrived. But the jubilee that Jesus announced that day was different from all the other previous jubilees, for he introduced a forever, an endless jubilee. Right now, we are in the year of God's favour, the year of jubilee. Grace has been extended ever since Jesus came. And our mission of extending God's grace has momentum because of his three years and because of the last 2,000 years of faithful Christians who have not stayed in the building but have gone out into the community. Our mission today is a today mission. You know, we can talk a lot about God in the past and the future, but Jesus talked about a gracious God who offers freedom from sin in the present today. It's, a risk, it's risky to open your life up to God today. And for us as Christians, as followers, it's risky for us to say, Lord, what are you telling me today? Because he's just as likely to plunge you further into mission. Today brings a sense of priority to engage in mission now because God's forgiveness, his acceptance and his gift of fullness of life is here now today. And as followers, I want to ask you this morning, where has God placed you for mission today? Now, for some of you, that just went straight over the top. Because you're thinking about the end of the service already. Let me ask it again. I want you to tune in. As his follower... Where has God placed you for mission right now, today? We belong to a today mission. Let's take it up. My last pivotal concept. Mission brings inevitable consequences. 
to the missionary and the unsaved world. You know, if you follow Jesus in his mission, reading through the Gospels, you will see that when he fed hungry people, healed the sick, released those who were demonised, advocated for, uh, for those uh, who were the underdogs, they acclaimed him as a prophet and they wanted to make him their king. But when he announced the kingdom, and he said the only way into the kingdom is through repentance and faith, when he challenged individual idols like he did with that rich young ruler who loved his money more than he did God, when Jesus challenged the religious traditions, when he challenged the national icons, because the Jews said, all I need is the fact that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a child of Abraham. When he challenged that, they pushed back. They pushed back against him. And in Luke chapter 4, they pushed back to the extent in Nazareth that day that their intent, after they'd finished or after he'd finished, was they were going to take him out and push him over the cliff. You know, when we take up mission in our families, our homes, in our neighbourhoods, workplaces, communities... We need to expect both hostile pushback, but also warm reception. If there is no conflict, probably we have adopted a Jesus and me consumer posture with a superficial contact in the community. Or we've so conformed to the surrounding culture's values that we have no missionary encounter. And alternately, if people aren't being attracted to Jesus because of you, then maybe you don't have that Jesus salty taste or flavour about you. The light's not shining. Or possibly we're treating them like targeted trophies. Or we've become too hostile and controlling. In all we do, in all we do, Love is to pervade and motivate us in our mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, For the love of Christ controls me. I look in the mirror and I ask myself, is that true of you? This morning, I want you to look in the mirror of the word and as God says, the love of Christ controls you. Is that true of you? Has, has, it, has it dawned on you that he, he loved you so much he gave his son for you? And now that love is to fill you and flow out from you. Not only to God, we sing, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. But to a community out there, to those you work with, you live with, you live next door to. And to express that love in tangible ways, Practical ways. But ultimately, in letting them know what God has done in Jesus Christ for you. As I finish up this morning, and my finish is a little bit like one of Paul's finishes because I've still got a little bit more to say. But as I finish up this morning, let me offer a statement then a few practical suggestions. Tim Chester and Steve Timmons in... In their book on mission, write this. We will have impact for the gospel if we are like those around us, yet 
profoundly unlike them at the same time, all the while remaining very visible and engaged. It's a bit of a confusing statement, isn't it? What are they saying? What they're saying is this. We are to be like those early Christians. We should be part of the community. Part of the community. Community events. Community groups. We are to be part of them. But at the same time, we are to be the alternative to what they know. So let me lay out just a few practical suggestions what this means. First and foremost, and I, you know, it was only yesterday this dawned on me that I hadn't even included this in what I was saying this morning. We need to be prayerful people. We need to be prayerful. We need to be praying about the mission. Do you have a prayer list? Do you have a, a list of people that you're praying for regularly? People that you're moving among? Let me go on. We should be known for our respect and good manners to those who oppose us. We should be known for our generosity, care for the poor, and commitment to justice. We need to vigorously integrate faith in all aspects of life. Not Sunday Christian, Monday pagan, but Sunday and Monday Christian. We must be committed to the sanctity of life, be sexually countercultural, anti-racist, and practical supporters for the neglected. Here's a big one. We must adapt our gospel presentation. Now, I didn't say the gospel. We don't adapt it. We adapt the gospel presentation to the culture we are in while maintaining the unchanging truth of the absolute lostness of mankind and the completeness of salvation in Jesus Christ. That we are accepted by God because of God's grace through faith. Above all, our mission into the community should reflect or be reflected by the diversity by our diversity in multicultural, multi-generational church. And nowhere will this be more evident than in our homes. About eight years ago, we began this, this mission to the refugee, migrant and international students of Toowoomba. Can I tell you, Toowoomba's quite unique. You go to the Sunshine Coast, you don't see... Great big, tall, black Sudanese men walking around. And the women are that tall too. You go to the Gold Coast, you don't see that. You don't see the international flavour that you see here in Toowoomba. My brother who's returned to Toowoomba made that comment to me. And part of preparing was that uh, we had to learn how we might uh, um, teach English to refugees. And part of the course for me was I... I went over and got some experience at the university. And for four years, I went for, for six weeks and I stayed there for four years. And I met a woman from another country who was learning English or improving her English so that she might do a PhD. 
And her husband started to come to our English classes. And before long, he started to take his children to our uh, playgroups. On a number of occasions, he came to me to the schoolyard blitz. He started to attend church services here from time to time. On numerous occasions, I was able to visit him in his home. I gave him a translation of the Bible in his own language. When a bereavement happened in his family, he came to the church. He came to my office. He was weeping. I was able to pray with him. He ringed me at some of the most unusual times with a request. Initially, he used to call me Niall. And when I first met him, he tried to kiss me. And I made sure from the point on that we in Australia, men in Australia don't kiss, we shake hands. And it's from a distance to start. But we became close and good friends. And just before he and his wife returned to their home country, Kerry and I had them around for dinner one night. We had a great night with them and their children. During the course of the night, as we sat around the table, the things of God started to come to the fore in, in our conversation. And then he said to me, he said, I've never told you this, but he said, one night many years ago, in my sleep, Jesus came to me in a dream. And I said, what did he say to you? He said, he said to me, what do you want? I said, what did you say? He told me what he said. And I said, friend, if he'd said that to me, this is what I would have said to him. I've spoken to him. He's gone back to his home country. I've spoken to him twice now on the phone. We email. He still asks me to do things for him. But I'm praying for that man who came to the church because of English and now we're sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, in Revelation chapter 7 we read, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. And they were singing a song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. Jesus said the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You don't have to go in a plane anywhere these days, the nations have come to us. The mission is to the world right here. So let me leave you with this last comment from Ed Taylor. Everything in your life, everything in your life is a divine setup to match God's love with those around you. Let's bow together in prayer. Now, Father, we pray this morning that you would touch our hearts, 
with your love in such a way that we would no longer see people through physical eyes alone, but we would see people as you see them. We would see the mess, but we'd know, we, we would know that the miracle of Easter is able to release them. And we pray this morning, our Father, that we'll take this seriously, we'll pick up the responsibility and take the name of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and all that that means into our immediate world for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.